<laughs> Thank you very much for that beautiful song. All right. Good morning, everyone. So good to be in church. I tell you, I get tired of uh, living out in this world. You know, COVID-19 is still out there. Our jobless rate is still high. Unrest in our cities, and now we've got a movement to defund the police. Can you imagine that? You know, my natural reaction to all of this that's going on in the world is uh, found in the book of Revelation in these words, even so, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> you know, God's people really are citizens of a heavenly city. One day, we will go home, either when death takes us or the rapture comes. Our bags are all packed and we're ready to go. I got a bag here got a suitcase. Usually uh, when you have these little tags up there, it tells you where you're going, right? Well, mine says HVN, heaven, okay? Okay? Usually it's PGD or RSW or uh, Phoenix, PHX, DFW, but mine says heaven. I hope you're ready to go. And you know, a lot of times we as believers are, are either looking for the undertaker or the upper taker. <laughs> we're, we're looking forward. But you know what? The Lord hasn't called us yet. We've got work to do. And today I'd like to take you to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 11. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 11, what we have here is we have the context of Jeremiah's writing a letter to the Israelites that were carried away captive to the land of Babylon. The exile started in 597 BC. And those that were carried away captive, they thought that, oh, this is not going to be very long. Uh, we'll be out of here in a year, maybe two years. As a matter of fact, some of the false prophets were telling them that this was not going to be very long. You'll be back home. You'll be back in Israel very soon. Well, Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles that were taken from Jerusalem into the country of Babylon and basically saying, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want to make sure that you maintain your Jewish identity, maintain your biblical lifestyle. I know there's some things you're going to have to put up with while you're in the land of Babylon, but still be true to you because... You're going to be there for at least 70 years. The captivity was for 70 years. You're going to be here a while. So Jeremiah was telling them, giving them some instructions, basically to unpack your suitcase. You're going to be here a while. Listen as I read or follow along on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 29, or if you have your own Bible, I'd like to read verses 1 through 11. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams which are caused to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I've not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. We come in your presence this morning, Father, and thank you for your precious word. And I pray that today, Lord, as we look at, back in this passage of Scripture at your prophet and the words that you gave him to write to the exiles in Babylon, may we who are exiled in this Babylon listen and learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jeremiah is telling them, you're going to be in Babylon for a while. You need to unpack your suitcase. And I think that as we look at these four things that Jeremiah is telling them, these are the same type of things that you and I need to unpack as well. As we look here in this passage of Scripture, the first thing that we need to unpack, or at least Jeremiah is challenging them, you're going to be here a while, so unpack an acceptance of your new normal. Well, let me see what I got in here. These are my wife's fuzzy slippers. When, we, when she puts these on, you know she's home. <laughs> she doesn't wear these out to the restaurant or doesn't wear them to church. And only when she is at home. You know, Jeremiah was telling, you're home now. I know it's not your real home, but you're going to be here a while, so you might as well get used to it. Unpack an acceptance of your new normal. Understand how the hand of God has led you. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Notice what it says there. Jeremiah is saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive. Now, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and, and carried away and, and stole all the treasures in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar carried, carted off so many good things and used them for his own kingdom. And they were there in Babylon as a result of an invasion. But notice what it says, the rest of that verse, whom I caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. They did it, but God says, I am the ultimate cause. How do we figure that out? In other words, in our lives, there's some bad things that happen. There's some things that happen that are painful, some things that are happened to us that are less than ideal, but God 
has allowed them with his sovereign hand and you need to accept what situation you find yourselves in. Exile was not ideal, but it was in the sovereign plan of God. Have you ever found yourself in Babylon, a place you really don't want to be, a place that's not very fun to be in, a place that is strange and you don't recognize it. Maybe you're going through a time of pain and it's not a very pleasant thing. Maybe you've got a loss in your life, a broken heart, some type of sorrow. Maybe you've lost your job or you found yourself in a place you really don't want to be. And that's where the Israelites were. And they needed to understand God, His sovereignty has allowed them to be this. They need to accept it. One of the Psalms recounts how the Israelites felt while they were there in Babylon. Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4, says this, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there were those who carried us away captive, asked us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You see, the Psalms reflect their grief, but I don't think God wanted them to stay in that sadness, in that gloominess. Grief is a part of our mourning, is a part of our situation, but also acceptance is a part of God's plan for our life. So, Understand how the hand of God has led you. Unpack that acceptance, but also enjoy the situation which you find yourselves. We are told by God's word to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice in spite of the less than ideal circumstances. Have you ever met a curmudgeon? You know what a curmudgeon is? Someone is always looking at life and just kind of skeptical, uh, judging things, and they're always in a negative perspective and always saying things. I've got some friends, as a matter of fact, it's a pastor friend of mine, is always in a woe-me attitude, always looking at life with uh, the world is going to hell and everybody else is on that, and I'm surrounded by imbeciles. And uh, Ever met someone like that? There's really no joy in their life. You know, I, I think that we need to realistically assess, yes, the things are bad, but there's things in life that we can take joy in, things in life that we need to rejoice in. When we gather our families together, that is, that is something that God wants us to, to joy in. As a matter of fact, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. So we need to take delight in the smile of a child. Take delight in the embrace of a friend. Take delight in a good meal. Take delight in a job that's well done. And unpack a joy and acceptance of where you find yourself in. Not where you want to be, not where we're going to be, but where we are right now. Enjoy life. There's a second thing that I believe Jeremiah wrote to the exiles and say, unpack your suitcase, first of all. Secondly, unpack an influence upon culture. 
aqua de Gio. Oh, yes. My wife loves that. Oh, the microphone can't pick that up, can it? So you can, no, microphones don't broadcast smell, just sound. Okay, anyway. You know, um, we need to influence culture. Everywhere God's people go, we need to influence it. Listen to what Jeremiah told, told the exiles to do. They found themselves in Babylon. Verse 5 and 6 says this, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may increase there and not diminished. You need to influence the culture where you are. Not just squirrel yourselves away and lock yourself in your rooms and not come out, but you need to spread the aroma of the fragrance of Jesus Christ wherever you are. The first influence that they were to have on that culture is the influence of hard work. Build houses, plant gardens. You know, I uh, pastored a church up in Amish country. Any of you ever lived in Amish country? People in the first service did. Um, the one th they, their religion really is, is not a Bible-preaching gospel uh, faith. They need to be saved, even though they're very religious. But there's, living around the Amish, there's some things that very Im much impress me. The one thing that impressed me is they work hard. I tell you, especially when you don't have motors on some of those things, uh, they work hard physically, and they plant gardens. <laughs> they dig in there, and they are hard, industrious people. You know, I think that we as God's people, if we have in our lives that hard work ethic, that will influence the people that we are around. We who need Christ, know Christ need to be industrious, provide for ourselves, do a good job, realize that the influence that we can have on the world. But they also had the influence of a strong family. Verse 6 says this, take wives, beget sons and daughters, have kids, have your children have kids, that you may increase there and not diminish increase your population, not just numerically, but increase the influence of a godly home. I tell you what, one of the main problems in our culture is the disintegration of the family. I think that is the number one problem in America today, how the family is just falling apart. We need a strong father in the home that can teach hard work and respect for authority, the fear of doing evil, working for a living, and how to treat others. Nothing can substitute for a father in the strong, uh, intact family in our culture. There was a, a lady by the name of Helen Smith who, who wrote about something that happened January of 2012. Remember when that Italian cruise line ship, the Costa Concordia, partially sank. They got too close to the shore and ran aground, and it was starting to sink off the coast of Tuscany. There was 4,252 people on board. 32 people died, and 64 were injured. 
The main problem was the captain, uh, Francesco, oh boy, I better not even try to pronounce his last name. It's an Italian name. It's one of those ends in an O. Anyway, Francesco was charged with abandoning incapacitated passengers and failing to inform maritime authorities. The crew members were not much more help as the passengers reported that many of them just left them to fend for themselves. The captain abandoned ship. The, the crew members left them just to fend for themselves. And you know, I think that's what ha- what's tragedy. There's so many shipwrecks in our families today because a dad takes off and doesn't care for the rest of his family. And then you know who has to come in? The government has to come in. And the government can't raise family. The government can't do a good job at bringing up uh, good, solid citizens. The abandonment of the nuclear family is terrible. So that's why Jeremiah is challenging. Have families. Build a strong family. Influence culture through that. Also, the influence of hope. Look at verse 10 and 11. Now, they're exiled. Jeremiah tells him, you're going to be here at least seven years. You're going to be here a while. Might as well have kids and grandkids, and you got time to build a house and plant gardens. You're going to be here a long time. But while you're there, I want you to influence culture with your hope. Look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. You're going to go back to Jerusalem. Verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Those exiles would walk around. They had something in their hearts. They had the hope of a future that God had planned for them. Oh, I tell you, you and I are exiled in our Babylon, and one day we're going home. That is a glorious hope. We have a blessed hope, a sure hope, a living hope, a purifying hope. And we as people in our own Babylon can walk around with our head screwed on straight and our heart right with the Lord because we know, we know what the end is. We know that we're going to be with the Lord. We know that God's got His hand on society, and we know that the only hope for this sinful world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be salt to keep this world from getting more and more rotten. We are to be light so that we can influence culture and share the gospel that can save people's soul and turn their whole lives around. So we need to influence our culture with this hope. Unpack your suitcase. First of all, we have to unpack our acceptance that we're going to be here for a while. Unpack our influence on culture. And there's another one, the third thing that we need to unpack in our suitcase, and that is prayer. Unpack a ministry of prayer, verse 7. Notice what it says there. And while you're there in Babylon... Seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. You know, the tendency is just to curse the, the city. It's just say, oh, they're, they're all just a bunch of nuts, you know. We're going to keep in our little holy huddle and, 
and just kind of be all by ourselves here. As a, no, Jeremiah says, hey, you're there. Pray for the city. Pray for Babylon. Pray for the peace of the city. I think that we as God's people have got a real big job. We've got a ministry of prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live a lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. It, it sounds just like uh, Jeremiah 29, 7, but it's in the New Testament. So we have a ministry of praying for kings and those in authority that we may live a peaceable life. Pray for the peace of the city. Also pray for the protection of the people of faith. In its peace, you will have peace that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and, and reverence. Our prayers for our country, our prayers for our states is that they will, uh, that God will bring peace and unity, that the riots will stop and that people will, will go back to work and that so that we as God's people can live with freedom, live to get the gospel out so we can do what Jesus has called us to do. So we need to unpack a ministry of prayer. I know we want to get out of here. I know we want to uh, abandon all t contact with this society, but we are to engage the culture with influence, engage it with prayer. But there is another thing we need to do. Unpack a fourth thing. Unpack a courageous resistance. There's something else in my bag here. I got some sunblock. SPF 50. Man, you slather that stuff all over your body. That sun is not going to burn you. You're not going to get that skin cancer. You, of course, you look like you uh, are white as a sheet or anything. You've got to rub it in a lot better than that. You know, rub this all over you so you won't get burned. Well, folks, our society can burn a lot of God's people. The influence of that society sometimes is so hot, so antagonistic we need to put on some sunblock. In other words, we need to unpack a resistance to this culture. Now, I want to give you three examples here, and I'm going to the book of Daniel now. You say, well, how does Jeremiah relate to, relate to Daniel? Guess who some of the first exiles that were taken away to Babylon? You know their four names, don't you? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were young men. They were probably 15 to 17 years old. They were the first on the wagon. They were taken to Babylon. And so they were learning the ropes and things, but in their suitcase, they realized that they needed to unpack a courageous resistance. The first temptation they had was the temptation to conform to culture. In the first chapter, Daniel chapter 1, you remember the story when uh, the, these three guys were introduced to all of the culture of the Babylonians. As a matter of fact, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their Hebrew names. They were given different names. They were taught the history of the Babylonians. Nothing wrong with learning some history. 
They were taught some of the ways of doing things in Babylon, how to dress, putting on the Babylonian clothes and all of that. But then they were told that they had to eat a certain kind of food. They were supposed to eat the Babylonian food to fatten them up for the king's approval. And some of that food was against the dietary restrictions that the Jews had. Who knows? Maybe they had pork chops on the menu. Fine for Christians, but for Jews back in that day, they were not to eat pork. They were not supposed to drink the Babylonian drink. They were not supposed to eat the Babylonian food. It had been offered to idols. It also was dietary laws were restricted. So what does Daniel and his three friends do? Well, hey, when in Babylon, do like the Babylonians. No, they didn't. They realized that this was a line that they couldn't cross. They couldn't conform to that culture. I tell you, the pressure was amazing. But they asked the eunuchs, said, can you just send us some vegetables? And, and God's going to be with us, and we'll, we'll be healthier than the other people will. And God allowed them to eat those vegetables, and they didn't have to break their spiritual, they didn't have to break their commitment to the Word of God. You see, they didn't blend in. I tell you today, there is intense pressure for God's people to bow to political correct thinking as opposed to a biblical obedience. We need to adhere to a biblical worldview. Do you realize that everything we preach and teach here is not politically correct? If you say that Jesus is the absolutely only way to get to heaven, you can't get to heaven by Muhammad. There is no such person as Allah. You know, this is very much anti-cultural. It really is. Everything we believe in our doctrinal statement is against this culture. So what do we do? What do we do? Dumb it down and not say things? We have to stand up. We have to be the light and shine in this dark world. Now, I'm not much of an auto mechanic at all. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, when Dad would have me help him fix the car, he would go out to the car and he would get under there. And I had uh, two jobs, hand him the wrench and hold the flashlight. That's all I got to do, hold the flashlight. You ever have a dad like that? <laughs> I had a dad like, you hold the flashlight. <laughs> you and I need to hold the flashlight of God's light to this dark culture. This is the only place you're going to hear this kind of thing. You're not going to hear it out there in this political uh, correct environment. We need to hold the light of God's word to the darkness of the society. There was the temptation that they had to conform to culture, the temptation also to bow to governmental overreach. What is that? Well, look in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he dreamed of this golden image. <laughs> and he, he made this 90-foot tall statue. He said, well, I think that's a good idea. I'll make this, this golden image and I'm going to have everybody... Everybody in the kingdom, come to the plain of Dura, and I'm going to get a band going. And when you hear the band going, everybody is supposed to bow the knee. 
they had to take a knee back in that day too, didn't they? There was three guys that didn't take a knee. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to this idol made of gold. And you know what happened to them? This was governmental pressure. This was the pressure of that society. Bow the knee, bow the knee. The only person we need to bow our knee to is our great and holy God. That's the one we need to take a knee for, but not anything else. The temptation to governmental overreach, they unpacked resistance. Even though they got thrown into a fiery furnace for it, they would not bow down to this governmental overreach. There was another temptation, and that's in Daniel chapter 6. And that's the temptation for our spiritual discipline to unravel. Remember what happened in Daniel chapter 6? Daniel chapter 6, this was a different king. But Daniel's still in his position. He's moving up because he is loyal and he is reliable and he is honest. In Daniel chapter 6, all of the other people that were kind of associated with Daniel that were part of this political environment says, we got to get rid of this guy. we got to dig up some dirt. So they looked through Daniel's social media. They couldn't find anything there. You understand where I'm going with this. <laughs> Something that maybe he said 10 years ago that was politically incorrect, and we'll post it and we'll shame him. Uh, no, they couldn't find anything against Daniel except that he was faithful to his God that every day he had devotions and stood in front of his window and prayed three times a day. Ah, we can turn that and get him into trouble making a law saying don't pray to any god except the king for 30 days. Well, Daniel knew the law was written, and this is what he said in chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You see, Daniel could have been lazy that day. He knew the writing was signed, knew there was a, a law against praying. He could have said, well, I tell you what, I can sit here in my chair with my eyes open and nobody will know that I'm praying. <laughs> or he could have said, well, God in his grace knows that I love him. I don't need to pray three times today. I can skip, uh, skip it for a while. Or I got this closet that's, that's nice. He could, have, he could have been lax in his spiritual discipline because of the pressure. You know, what does it take us to stop having our daily devotions? Not a governmental uh, rule or anything, just our plain laziness. What does it take to keep you from gathering with God's people? Folks, I'm very sensitive to people's desire to be safe. And we have got some dear people that I love with all of my heart that are home today. And I love you, and I know you're trying to be careful, and I respect you. But there's going to be a time when we need to get back together, a time we need to come and be faithful to worship our God. Don't let little things keep you from your spiritual discipline. We need to have a stubborn resistance to being conformed. Daniel unpacked his stubborn resistance. 
Winston Churchill was a rabble-rouser in England in Parliament in the 1930s. He was criticized and ignored. He was a voice that wouldn't go away because he warned about Hitler, and he warned about the Nazis. Well, the day came when England declared war against Germany. And that same day, they asked Winston Churchill to be prime minister. He wrote a book about World War II. As a matter of fact, six volumes. The first volume of his history of World War II was called The Gathering Storm. Folks, there is another gathering storm. It is called secularism. Christians, do we believe enough biblical truth to withstand the moral liberalism of the age? Are evangelicals and other conservative Christians in the United States prepared to consider to be considered enemies of the regime? One of Winston Churchill's great virtues was his ability to see the storm and then to summon the courage and conviction to go into the storm. And this is the challenge that you and I as believers are facing in the United States today. We see this storm of secularism and political correction coming our way, and we need to be faithful to Jesus Christ in this secular age. We often love to sing that song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. However, God in his sovereignty has got us here in our Babylon for a good reason. We may be here a while. Just as Jeremiah spoke to his generation, God speaks to our generation and tells us, unpack your suitcase. You need to unpack an acceptance of where God has placed you need to unpack your influence on this culture and your family's influence on this culture. Unpack a ministry of prayer for our country and unpack a stubborn resistance that we're not going to drink that Kool-Aid. <laughs> we're going to stand for God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for your precious Word. And I pray that God, your Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts today. Lord, if there's one here that has never received Jesus Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that you would speak to their heart and show them that, oh, this world, this world is, doesn't have a hope, but only Jesus Christ can give us that hope. I pray for courage for all of us, Lord. We haven't faced severe persecution yet, but God, give us the courage and the purpose of Daniel and his friends to be able to stand when we're called to stand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand together as we sing? In his presence Assurance in the first.